You know, we continue to pray uh, for just this whole uh, worldwide uh, epidemic now. Uh, uh, we uh, had a special offering last week, right, for the people in Wuhan, China, especially. Uh, our brother, Pastor Chen, the lead pastor for the CM uh, Chinese ministry, he's been in contact with some of the local pastors there. And, and uh, today, uh, with the final uh, offerings, uh, we're going to uh, send that over to uh, the local pastors and the churches. Uh, they're unable to still meet and worship. It's a crazy situation. But, I mean, as this epidemic continues to spread, uh, latest toll, uh, the death toll is like over 813 people now. There's like 37,000 people infected, and it's more than the SARS uh, epidemic in the early 2000s. So it's scary, right? It's scary because uh, it's not like the flu where maybe just the elderly are more prone. It's like, you know, anyone, even the young people, uh, it's easily transmitted. And I even read articles like this doctor who, who was one of the first uh, in, in the Wuhan hospitals to kind of see these uh, patients started coming in. He kind of spread the word out uh, via, you know, the WeChat or whatnot. And, and then the government kind of got on him. And then eventually, as he was ministering to those people that are sick in the hospital, he himself got infected. And this past week, he, he died, right? I mean, it's crazy. This guy's in his 30s, a young doctor. His whole future, his whole heart, his life is there. His ophthalmologist there in this hospital. And, and now he died as well. And so it's a crazy situation. You know, we, we, we prayed last week. We can continue to pray. Uh, we took a collection. Again, I want to share with you the collection just uh, out of uh, just open transparency. Um, in the whole church last week, we collected a total of, of $17,045.75. $17,045. And that's all going to be going to uh, the people there in Wuhan uh, to support them because the situation is that people are scared right now, right? Um, last week's Sunday attendance was very low across the board, the entire church. I saw Cupent was kind of down as well, but across the entire, uh, uh, you know, KM, and then especially the Chinese congregation, huge numbers dropping. Why? Because people are scared, you know? You hear about, you, you read these articles where, where people now are avoiding like going out to eat in Asian restaurants. You, you, you read that? They're like not going out to like Chinese restaurants or sushi or bars or whatever else it is because they're afraid of Asian people almost. They, don't, they think like, yeah, oh, I don't want to be infected one night. It's kind of a situation that's going on around, you know, these, I went to a pharmacy this past week for some medicine. All the masks, right? Surgical masks sold out. You can't even get any anywhere you go. What are people afraid of? Why is People so scared, of course, you know, who wants to get sick? We don't want to get sick and we don't want to get the virus and whatnot. But what's the real reason? What's the real fear behind all of that? When it comes down to it, the reality is nobody wants to die, right? Nobody wants to die. Who wants to die, <laughs> right? We all want to live. We want to have a long life, you know? Nobody wants to die early, right? There's a, f a fear of that now. I shared that Epicurean uh, creed last week, right? The famous creed, eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we all die, right? Uh, and a lot of people just kind of live by that motto, right? You know? We don't want to think about death. We don't want to think about, you know, uh, uh, when, when that will be, um, you know? We don't want to talk about it. So what do we do? Uh, we, in essence, just, we just eat, drink, and be merry, right? We'll worry about the after whatever happens afterwards later, you know, I'm just going to eat, drink, and be merry. We try to maximize basically what we can control now. And that's kind of what the world is teaching and bombarding, uh, you know, all around social media and just, you know, ads that everything that we see, just eat, drink, and be merry. Just be happy now, be today. Get satisfaction, what you can get on this earthly life. That's what we're told 
to do. And you know, God says, no, that's not it, right? And last week in 2 Samuel, we were reminded, hey, we're part of something bigger than ourselves, right? We're part of a grander story than just this temporary life, you know, this short 80 years or whatever we live. We're part of a grander story, a story that's gone on for far longer than you and I ever have lived. It's not our story. It's actually God's story, right? It's his great story that he created us in the beginning to have fellowship with him, that we would have this relationship with the living God, but by sin, because of our disobedience, we severed that relationship, broke it, and ever since then, God has been working on this story, this unfolding plan of redemption to redeem us, to bring us back to him, right? And God had this saving plan for you and I. We call that the gospel, right? The good news, that's what the good news is. Uh, the message of hope that though we could never save ourselves, no matter how many good works or how many times we come out to church on Sundays, that's never going to save or give us this relationship back again. God would do that through his son, Jesus Christ. He gave himself and he sends Jesus to die on the cross. And by Jesus' sacrifice, his death, the blood that he shed, it takes away our sins, atones once and for all. And now we are redeemed, church. And our ending has forever changed. The ending to our story, this life story now, is no longer death, eternal damnation. Now our story is going to continue on, right? Continue forever in this love relationship that we have with God, his son, Jesus. And God invites us to that story. Every time you hear the message from the Bible, or every time you read the Bible, or, or any time God speaks, he's inviting you to be part of his story, to join in his story. And we learned, right, last week, that when we're trying to fit, you know, God into my life story, you know, God, you, you know, fit into this little house of mine that I'll build out of cedar and all that nice, you know, materials, but you have to fit into my life, how I want you to be, how I want you to respond, what you, how I want you to answer my prayer. You know, when we try to do it, it's, it's not, the story doesn't work, right? The story doesn't fit. The plot's all wrong. It never works out that way. As I shared, uh, Last week, when we're pulled out of our own drama, out of our own life story, we're cast as characters in his unfolding plot, then we become part of the greatest story in the world. Right? The greatest story that's ever told, that ever will be told. Right? Who doesn't love stories, right? dramas? Tonight, you guys plan to watch the Oscars tonight, right? It's the Oscars. No host again, yeah, whatever. But there's the Oscars, a bunch of big picture nominees, right? 1917 World War movie. Joker, anyone watch a Joker? Pretty intense, right? Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, getting a lot of buzz. But Parasite, this big buzz, the Asian movie, right? I kind of saw it too. I was like, whoa, it's kind of crazy movie, right? But first Asian movie ever to win the SAG Awards for like, I think they call it like the best performance by cast. Basically, it's the best picture, right? It's amazing, right? Asian movie to win that award. But can you imagine if the director of Parasite, his name is Bong Joon-ho, okay? Director Ho, okay? Can you imagine if he would have called you up as he's casting this movie? He says, yeah, I want you to be part of this movie. I want you to be part of this story. I want to invite you to join this cast in this drama. As we tell the story of the, the, the dynamic, societal impact of the rich and the poor and all that other life issues that he's talking about. I want you to be part of, how would you feel possibly to be part of a, of a movie that will win the best picture of the year possibly tonight, maybe? Right? How would you feel, honored? 
esteemed, like amazed. Why choose me? Why, you know, why? It's amazing that you would think of me to be part of the, you know, it depends, I guess, what role you want, right? I don't want to be that person that dies in the end, all right? If you've seen that movie, I don't want to give anything away, but, right? But wow, you know, to be part of that movie, right? It's, a, it's, a, it's pretty astounding. Now think of this here, though, okay? That's great. Oscars tonight. Best actor, best actress, best director, best pitch. What if the greatest director that has ever been in the history of all humanity? I'm talking about the one who's actually created everything, okay? You look around, creation, heaven and earth, the greatest director, creator, the one who is continuing to orchestrate and direct everything in this world. What if that director would invite you to be part of his story? How would you feel? How would you feel if that director would invite you to join his story? You see? One of my favorite professors at Trinity when I was back in seminary, Dr. Kevin Van Hooser. If you love theology like some of you do, Read some of Kevin Van Hooser's uh, books. And he, a lot of his teaching is centered on this uh, uh, teaching he calls theodrama, he says. I remember that. I was like, whoa, this is deep. It's going over my head. But theodrama. He's saying this, this, there's a drama that we're all part of, this, this story that we're a part of. But it's actually, again, not our story. It's theodrama. It's God's story. And God's the director. He's the director of this story. And, and you and I, if you want to look at it, we're, we're actors and actresses, part of this theodrama, this greatest story ever told. What is your role in this theodrama? Have you ever thought of that? It's important to know that, isn't it? If you're you know, casting a, a movie, I, I got to know my lines. I got to know what, what my role is and what I have to say and how I have to act and all that stuff. It's important, isn't it? What is your role? Do you know what your role is? in this greatest story that God has invited you to today. I want us to now, after realizing that we're part of this or we're invited to this theodrama, now to fully understand what is our primary, one of our most important roles that you and I have in this great story. Today's passage kind of shows us, it shows us what this role that God has given to us as his screenplay actors in his story I'd like us to learn what that is. Maybe perhaps practice some of the lines this week. Maybe live it out that we can actually live out this story, not just in a drama, but in real life, in your life and mine, into this fallen world today. Turn with me, church, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, 15, as we kind of begin to understand what our role is in this great story. You know, Paul writes in verse 11, he begins by saying, therefore, verse 11, Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Apostle Paul, he's writing, in essence, he's saying, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. I want to persuade you as you're listening to me right now to persuade you to, to join me in something. Now, there's two things, obviously, we need to then understand or what we need to know. What, number one, what's he trying to persuade us or the listeners to do? And number two, why is he trying to persuade them? Okay, the motivation, the reason behind that. Okay, so what's he trying to persuade? And then what's his reason, motivation in persuading? So verse 11 starts out with a very important kind of a, a conjunction or what now you call it, grammar-wise. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. That therefore is important. Why? Because in grammar, 
What is, when do we say therefore? Well, well, if we say something that's important, blah, 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 therefore this, right? So, so to know the importance of what this fear of the Lord and why we persuade others, that therefore it points to something that happens right before this verse and right before in this section, and that's the verse that precedes this in verse 10. Look with me in verse 10. Paul says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Okay? What's the point of, of, of his, his, his like calling to persuade others? Well, a basis of that is this truth, he says, that we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ one day. His commitment to persuade others is grounded in the confidence, absolute confidence, one day Christ Jesus will judge his people, all people, actually. That each one will receive what is due for what he has done in the body or this earthly world, whether good or evil, whether good or bad. Okay, I mean, that's Bible, God's truth. There will be judgment. We don't want to hear that, right? Especially on a Sunday, a day of rest. We don't want to hear about the you know, coming judgment that, you know, one day we're going to die and be before the judgment throne. Yeah, well, I want to hear the eat, drink, and be merry part, okay? I like that part. But hey, one day, uh, we will die, right? Eat, drink, and be merry. Yes, but then after tomorrow, we die. It's, it's just a fact of life, right? Whether we want to think of it or not, we will come to a judgment where that judgment will determine where we spend the rest of all eternity. Think about that, church. I'm not just talking about uh, decades here. I'm talking about eternity. That is forever. That judgment determines where we spend eternity forever. One day we will be judged by Jesus. And so Paul says, therefore, we know what it is to fear the Lord. Right? Put up verse 11 back again. Therefore, we know what it is to fear the Lord. Christ is judge and the Lord is above all. I'm accountable ultimately to that person. Right? You know, think about you know, all the things you know, that, 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 that we were, were, were living for, you know, your jobs and, and your workplaces. I, I, I hate to bring Kathy up again, but I know she hates it. I didn't tell her I would do this, but you know, she had this big, you know, important presentation at work in the DOE. There was this uh, uh, like like the people coming in to see exactly like how many minutes the kids in her pre-K class are washing their hands and in their centers and and all this little technical stuff, and they're graded by this. And and she prepared so well with her other pre-K teachers, and everything was great. But then after the, the, the those inspectors or whatnot came, uh, she got the grade and she. Everything really went well, except this one part. They did not spend like, like three more minutes in, in their center time or whatnot. Because of that, they got a below average grade. And Kathy was so upset, you know, this past week. She's like, I'm so upset, you know. I worked so hard, but like, how can I track it out of 117 minutes of the day that you have to be in these center times? And because of that, she really upset. I'm trying to get Kathy, it's not that big a deal, you know. 
you know, in the big scheme of things, who cares? Well, you know, you move on. You're not going to, you know, get less, you know, promotion or money or whatever. It's going to be fun. But, but of course, it, it upsets us. Anything that, you know, we work hard for, we want to impress our bosses. We want to do well at work. We want to get approved from our peers. We want to get approved from our parents. We want to let others know that, hey, we're doing a good job. And, and our parents, we want them to be proud of us. And we want all these approval things in the end. Who cares? Because we're all going to die. And ultimately, there's only one person that actually is going to keep us accountable. You know what that is? That's God himself. That's God. And, and that's Jesus ultimately on the judgment throne. That's it. He's the one that is accountable, that we are to be accountable for. How will God judge us then? How will God judge you? Because we're all going to face that. Yeah. There, there, there are times when, you know, you know we, we get caught up with the things of this world and, and the, the people that we want to impress and such. That God, you know, sometimes that, you know, hey, I want you to remember this again, okay? I, I want you to remember how, how this is not it. This, this life that we just live here, that's not the end all be all. And sometimes he has to bring us to that place where we think of life and death, right? You know, I, I shared about my mom again last week. She got diagnosed with uh, breast cancer. I, I went with her to the breast surgeon this past Monday, and we're praying, and I thank you so much for your prayers. I know a lot of you, you texted me, you were praying for her. And I asked you, you know, yeah, uh, you know, pray for healing, pray for the cancer to, to be rid, or, you know, you know, the stage and all that. But, but you know, I, I pray for her salvation, really, right? I, I meant that. I believe I want her to be saved, really, not just physically, but spiritually. And so we went to the doctor, and, 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 and praise God, like the good news that he gave, at least in terms of diagnosis, the stage two, he said, and so it, it doesn't think that it spread to the lymph nodes and so we're, we're very thankful and, and hopefully you know, she's going to get the you know, surgery soon and, and, and things are going to go well and I had a time here after the, the, the appointment we're, going, we're driving back to just grab lunch together with my kid sister Jane she's in the back of the car and, and God opens this opportunity right he does he always gives opportunities to us and I was like mom you know yeah Man, God loves you, really, to the point where, you know, he's bringing you to a place, and I see that fear in my mom's eyes, and she's anxious. Like, my dad tells her she can't sleep at night because she's so anxious. She's fearful. She just wants to get the surgery done. I'm like, man, God is bringing you to this place where we don't ever want to go. Like, you and I, we don't want to think about death, right? But he's bringing you to that place to think about life and death, right? To recognize, hey, hey, maybe this is not it. What am I living for? What am I, you know, living for? You know, when Kathy got that, that, that concern with that liver, uh, you know, issue there, she Googled it, right? I told you, and she's like, oh, you might die in a year. I mean, it's, it's scary, right? A few months you have to live. Like, she's telling me, like, we got to change things, how we eat. We got to change things, how we live. Or, you know, all the things, the reasons, you know, what we're teaching our children. Like, all these things we got to change, right? Yeah. When it's life and death, we start to change, you know, our perspective, right, on life. And then we found out that, you know, Kathy's liver wasn't, you know, any issue. And then we kind of go back to where how we used to live, right? We just go back to just, all right, let's eat our McDonald's and my castles again and, and all that. It, 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 it's interesting. When we think about life and death, how differently we live and how our perspective changes, right? Apostle Paul sharing this. In verse 11, 
Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. You know, what, what, what we are is known to God by his grace. Thank you. But I hope it is known also to your conscience, he's saying, to all who hear. Verse 12, we're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us. Why? Why? We're giving you a reason to be proud of us. Why? So that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen. The outward appearance of people, that things that people live for, the outward appearance of earthly things and all that stuff. And not about what's in the heart. We want you to know this. What's really important. Verse 13, if we're beside ourselves, it's for God. If we're out of our mind, if we're acting kind of crazy right now, if we're acting a bit, you know, uh, you know, really urgent here, it is for you I'm saying this. This is the urgency here, Paul. So you, you, you catch his, like, urgency? How, like, like, really strong he's saying how important this is, right? Knowing the fear of the Lord, we're compelled to persuade others. Fear the Lord. It's not just like, hey, God, I'm scared of you, God. There's this God that's vindictive, judging me all the day, and I'm just scared to, to be at that judgment throne one day, and so I gotta be holy and I gotta live a perfect. That's not the fear that God's talking about. That's not the Christian life that God desires for you and I. No, the fear of the Lord doesn't paralyze us, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't overwhelm us to the point of like, we're just like so scared, walking on tippy toes and eggshells and all. No, it frees us, church. The fear of the Lord, if you truly understand the fear of the Lord, it frees you from life's anxieties. It frees you from life's worries, right? It liberates you from what all these pressures and all the things that the world showers upon you. It, it sets us free from that. In the big scheme of things, who cares, right? I'm accountable to one judge, and that's God and his son, Jesus Christ, right? It liberates us then of what's really important, you know, in life. Man, maybe, you know, the things I'm, I'm living for, maybe it's, it's different here now, right? That fear of the Lord, it motivates us. And God now gives us a purpose, a new reason to live. And he hammers this home in verse 14, Paul does. He says, and this is the crux, the climax of this passage. He says, for the love of Christ controls us. Love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that the one Jesus has died for all, and therefore all have died. You know, in NIV, I, I like this translation too. For Christ's love, what does it do? It compels us, church. The love of Christ, it's not our love for Jesus' thing. We've got to read the Bible correctly. It says Christ's love, the, the, the love of Christ is his love. It controls us, it compels us, it persuades us, it motivates us, it moves us to persuade others, to let others know of his great love for them. Right? And it changes the reason that we live in verse 15 as we close. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer then live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised again. Right? There it is. What's our role? <laughs> What's our purpose and what's our, you know, uh, script? Give me the, you know, the script, God, you know, director. I might no longer live for myself. That everything that I'm doing in my life, you know, the decisions I'm making, you know, the reason why I'm working, saving money, and why I want to get married and have kids, all those reasons, important reasons, but I'm no longer living for myself, for my, you know, aspirations, desire, and glory on this short temporary earth life, I am living for him, Jesus Christ, who died for me and was raised again, resurrected from the grave. Thank you. 
Jesus Christ died on the cross, church, so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for yourselves. Just eat, drink, and be merry. <laughs> Just do as you please. No, we now live for Christ. Or as I keep trying to hammer it home, Christ lives in me now. Right? I am a new creation, therefore, Christ in me. Right? That's this new role <laughs> that believers have now. In this theodrama of ours, that's the story that you and I are a part of. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, we know about him. I shared a lot about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. German theologian, was enslaved, by, died in a Nazi uh, imprisonment, right? And he shared this one thing, and he kind of is saying the same thing Kevin Van Hooser is saying and all these other great uh, theologians. He's saying this thing about the story. He says, for once we are part of that story, not our story, but once if you and I are part of this theodrama, God's great story, then you know what we can do? Now we can actively partake in actions that join in on what God is doing around the world. Think about that, okay? Now that we're part of his story, not our story, now you and I, we can actively join in on what this great director is doing all around the world in the story of his son, Jesus Christ on earth. Isn't that amazing? That you and I, we can be part of, of, of the greatest story ever and have a role in his story of redemption, of humanity, of the things that will save souls for all eternity, church. God is sovereign. That's what we mean by that. And we're living, you know, not for my, ourselves now, but for his great glory and part of his plan. So and the question that we're asking ourselves today is, as God is asking what your role is, are we still living in whose story are we living in really, right? Do you see yourself just living your life for your aspirations, your goals and purposes? A nice, you know, retirement, 401k, Retire by 55 or whatever else you want to do. Just, just be off, you know. Eat, drink, and be merry. Are, are we living for a, a, a bigger story, right? Do we see ourselves part of the script in God's direction and what he wants to do in our life, in this world, right? I shared with my mom this past week. I said, Ma, you know, it's... Unbelievable, how much God loves you. I mean, this is a person that just got diagnosed with breast cancer, right? I'm telling her, do you realize like, how amazing his love is for you? Think about it. If God didn't care about you, he'll just leave you to be, wouldn't he? I mean, you know, just live your life, this earthly life. Eat, drink, and be merry. Just do as you're doing, you know, just living, trying to live for the treasures on earth. He, he will just leave you, leave you alone. But, but, but no, he wants you to think of life and death. He wants you to come to a place where you have no other place to go. He wants you to be a place of desperation, of despair, where all you have to turn to is nothing in this world. The only one I can turn to is the God who created me, who can save me, heal me, not just physically of my cancer, but spiritually of my salvation. God, do you realize, I said to my mom, God loves you. And I told her this, and I shared this with the leaders last week. I said, mom, I, I, I mean this. I, I promise, I'd rather you live just one more day on earth, on this earthly world. I'd rather you just live one more day 
and know Jesus Christ. Then live the next 30, 40 years of your earthly life without knowing Jesus and die. I promise you, Mom, I, I said that to her. I'd rather you know Jesus today. And if the Lord wills that, that you go to heaven tomorrow, Lord forbid, but I'd rather that than my mom live the next 30, 40 years of this earthly life without knowing Jesus Christ. I promise you, I said that to her. and I, I think she got it. I think she's starting to understand. Yeah. <laughs> Before she was like, well, what kind of a son are you? You, know? you think, oh, you want me to die tomorrow? I'm like, no, no, I think she's getting it. Okay. I think she's understanding. For Christ's love compels us, church. It's the biggest difference between religion, all these other religions and the gospel. You know, people think of religion, Christianity even sometimes. Oh, you know, this vindictive God, he's telling you to just do things, act a certain way. You know, you know hey, go, you know, you should go on missions. You should, you know, go and, and, and evangelize. Why? Because, oh, because, you know, God is, you know, going to judge me if I don't. Or, and we get this guilt-ridden, workspace righteousness. And, and now Christianity is not this faith, this, this beautiful, you know, news. It, it's, 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 it's a religion now. And Keller puts it beautifully in The Reason for God. You know, this, 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 this dynamic between religion and the gospel. What are we living for? And The Reason for God. He, he was saying, he's sharing this story that, that years ago he met this woman. Pastor Tim Keller is saying at Redeemer. He, he, she, this woman came to church and, and she never heard before this distinction between the gospel and religion. Between, you know, grace and what is often described as this works-based uh, righteousness. And she had always heard that, you know what? God only accepts us only if we're good enough, right? Only if you're good enough, if you're holy enough, if you're a good person, do good to others. If you give money to the church and all these other things that people tell you, you know, then God will love you and accept you and you'll go to heaven and all that. She said, hey, hold on. This new message that she heard at church, hold on, it's scary. It's frightening even, she says. And Keller asked her, why is it scary? And she replied, you know, here's the thing. If I was saved by my good works... If I was saved by, you know, what I do, right, for you, God, then there would be no limit. Actually, no, okay, let me repeat it. If I'm saved by my good works, then there would be a limit to what God could ask of me or put me through. There could be, a, there would be a limit. Like, for example, like I'd be like a taxpayer with rights, right? I would have done my duty, and now I would deserve a certain quality of life, okay? So this is what I did for you, God, so now I'm owed this, right? You owe me this. So there's a limit to what God can ask of us or put us through. But here's the thing. If I'm a sinner saved by grace, then there's nothing that he cannot ask of me. If I'm a sinner that is saved by his grace, that's a free gift that we didn't deserve, then there's nothing that God cannot ask of you and I in our life because it was all him. You see? See the difference there? He can actually do, do go to Africa tomorrow. I'm, I'm just giving you an example. Like, he can do whatever because it's all him. It's his grace. There's no limit right, to what he can ask you or put you through. Right? She's understanding this dynamic of grace and gratitude. You see, when you've lost all this fear of punishment and why we're living and you lose, then the, you know, if you lose all that, then you lose this incentive to live a good, you know, unselfish life. Because the only incentive you ever had back then was to live uh, this decent life was out of fear, like out of, oh, I'm afraid of what God's going to do to me. No, but, but what, what, what we're happening when we're seeing this, this teaching of salvation by sheer grace, that if I'm saved by grace, a sinner saved by grace, then if anything, I am more subject to the sovereign lordship of God. 
that if Jesus really has done all this for me, then I am not my own. <laughs> I was bought at a price, scripture says. And then I will joyfully, and I know gratefully, belong to Jesus who gave me all this for me at an infinite cost to himself, church. Let's not downplay that either. His grace was not cheap. At an infinite cost to God, he lost his son, Jesus Christ. This is the gospel, church. And this is the life that God calls us to. To gratefully belong to Jesus. To know that you are part of his story. By his love, we are compelled to live no longer for ourselves, but for him who died again and was raised for our sake, church. It's the love of Christ that compels us. It's the love of Christ that persuades us to persuade others to know Jesus Christ. Church, we're beginning a new season now. God is prepared to equip us, right? We're starting another season of evangelism training on March, in March. Right? March the 3rd, Tuesday night is orientation, another season of evangelism training. You know, I was talking with Pastor Chen about this, and he's like, his members, you know, they're realizing, you know, all these other things that we're living for, you know, if it's not it, then, then, then this is it. Should we not know this? You know? Should we not know how to share this if this is the most important thing that we're living for, right? Well, how can I know what to share if, I, if I'm not equipped in how to, that's what evangelism training does, right? That's what we do in EE, evangelism training, right? Pray about it. Join, sign up. Join this season, right? To be equipped and know how to share the good news to others in your life that God has brought into your life, right? And then, you know, we have this missions orientation coming up on March the 1st, and Deacon Elder, Elder Dave Shin is going to come up soon, and he's going to lead a time of prayer for the missionaries that we're supporting, you know? What's this all for? You know, is God calling us, perhaps, you know, overseas? If not, is he calling you here, locally? Franklin Nursing Home, right next door. We're praying about an opportunity to go there more regularly to actually give Sunday worship to the residents in the Franklin Nursing Home. I mean, we talk about this city of flushing, changing dynamics. You know, a lot of English speakers are moved out. You know, where are the you know, English speakers then for us, QPAM? Well, there's a big building, uh, Franklin Nursing Home, right next door that has a lot of English speakers that don't know Jesus. Maybe God's leading us to worship and minister to them, right? There's a lot of opportunities, church. The love of Christ controls us and compels us to no longer live a life for myself, but to live a life for him who died again and was raised for his glory through our life, church, through Jesus now. We are transferred from our own life movie, you want to say, our story. And church, think about it. We're inserted into this grand narrative, this narrative that revolves around the main character. That's Jesus Christ, right? And that's the story. It's God's story, not ours. To be living in his story, to be compelled to persuade others to know him and his great love. As I invite the worship team up, I, I want to ask you to examine your hearts right now. You know? it's, it's a time of self-reflection every, every Sunday as God gives his word. You know? How are we living our life? What are we living our life for? What are we living our life for? 
What are the things that we're spending our time in? What are the things that we're spending our money in? You look at our bank accounts, it shows kind of what our heart's desire is a lot of times, doesn't it? What do we want for our children, their futures? How do we want our marriages to be? What kind of major do you want for college? Why, for what reason do you want to be this profession in your life? You know, it's all these big questions, isn't it? What's driving us behind these decisions that we make? I pray it be the love of Jesus Christ. I pray it be Christ's love that compels you, controls you to love Him. In that love, would you then be led to persuade others to know God, to know His Son, Jesus Christ? Would the fear of the Lord move you to persuade others the gospel would be prominent in your life, in our conduct, in our decisions that we make. Let's go to God and ask Him, Father, would I not boast about myself? Would I boast about you, the things that you desire? For your story is what you've invited me to. For your glory, not mine. We pray this. Let's pray. Let's respond. It's a hymn we already sang. I want to respond and keep singing this hymn over and over in our heart. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that He gave His only Son to make a wretch like us His treasure. How great the pairing of searing loss on that cross, God. It was at an infinite cost to you that would bring many sons to glory. Father's love that would compel us to live no longer for ourselves but for you Jesus let's respond in worship and make this a prayer